Hey, if you clicked on this episode, thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate you more than you could possibly know. This podcast has no purpose if it doesn't have listeners, and I really appreciate you coming. I think I've said appreciate a couple times. It's thematic. There's my podcat co-host, Chewy. That's right. He's sitting in the sun right now. Anyway, let's get let's get to it. If you're here, you're listening to this, there's a part one because we are in part two of the Literary Agent series. Chewy, wait your turn, son. <laughs> He's got a lot to say. Yeah, I know, buddy. At any rate, this is part two, and we're going to talk about how you know if you have written a killer novel that is guaranteed to get you a literary agent. Disclaimer, nothing in life is guaranteed to get you anything, but you know what I mean. So I really do highly encourage you, before you listen to the rest of this episode, select that pause button, go back and listen to The Surprising Solution to a Perfect Agent Query Letter, where I discuss how to build a platform that's going to help you stand out when you get ready to query. That is the 0.0, the negative one of the whole getting a literary agent process. If you're not building a platform right now, some people call it a brand. I hate the word brand. That's just me. If you're not building a platform for yourself, everything we talk about is at risk of falling a little bit flat because your platform is what's going to help you sell books. It's going to be what helps you get the attention of the literary agent. And it's going to be what drives the engine of your art. Sure, there are people out there. There are a lot of people out there who are making art. (laughs) When are we? Are you you done talking yet? There are a ton of people out there who are making art right now that they have no intention of sharing. Like Chewie. He doesn't want to share art. You may have a grandma who doesn't want to share her art. You may have a grandma who does want to share her art. It's not that grandmas don't want to share art. Lots of grandmas want to share art. Some of them are listening to this podcast right now, and I celebrate you. Go build your platform. That is important. But once you've done that, we need to pivot. We need to talk about the other stuff, because having a platform without art is pointless. Let's be honest. You need a platform, but you also need great art. The two go together. You can't sell your art. You can't share your art. You can't inoculate the world with the goodness of your art unless you have a platform to share it with. Okay? All right. That's what we go over in the surprising solution to a perfect agent query letter. Well, listen to it. So to quickly catch you up, the key to finding an agent, to publishing meaningfully by any means, and to living the literary lifestyle where your writing pays the bills, all of the bills, and some leisure, is to have that loyal platform. It doesn't matter if you have 10,000 followers, if no one is engaging with you, commenting, interested in you, excited when they see your new tweets, ready to dialogue. 10,000 followers means nothing. Whereas if you have a thousand people, just a thousand people on Twitter, who every time you tweet something, they're racing to comment. If you start noticing that every tweet is getting 20, 30, 50 comments on it, you can't keep up with all of the activity. You've got a primed audience who's excited to read your work. And that's going to spill over. So in a nutshell, that's how you build the perfect query letter. 
But before we get there, how, how, do you, how do you write a perfect book? How do you know that your book is ready to go out to literary agents? You're probably suspicious that there's more than just building a platform to winning a literary agent. And you're right. You have to write a killer good book, or it won't matter how many people are actively following you and engaging with you on any social media platform or elsewhere. It won't matter how many email addresses you've collected. It won't matter how much money you pay. You're not going to get a literary agent if you don't have a killer book. And yeah, in, in later episodes of this series, Landing a Literary Agent, we're going to talk about how to actually craft the query letter from the comps to the biography to the synopses, everything you need to know. We're going to go over it in depth. We're going to talk about how to refine searching for agents so you don't waste your time looking for people who aren't interested in reading in your genre. We're going to help you figure out how to get seen by the agents. We're going to dive into the questions, but right now we're looking at how you know when your novel is ready to send. So let's go. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name's Jody Spurman, and I'm determined to help you, whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, I'm going to share with you the secrets I've learned from industry experts and how you can speed your path to publication. For starters, probably in our lives, there's not been a time when you could bring a simple concept for a novel to an agent and get in the door. Now, if you're Jonathan Franzen, Lydia Davis, yeah, sure, you can bring concepts then. But if you're a first-time novelist, you have to have the thing written in order to get access. So that's pretty simple, right? How do you know if you have the perfect novel to start shopping? You have the novel, the whole thing, from the first sentence to the end. If I haven't already said this, by the way, in any uh, previous episodes, don't write the end at the end of your manuscript. It immediately shows any professional reader that you're really new. Just don't, don't write the end. Some people will say, well, I write the end so that they know that there's no chapters missing. You know how you help them know there's no chapters missing? They feel satisfied at the end of the book. They feel satisfied all the way through. They're not thinking, huh, I wonder how we got from there to here. Anyway, tangent. Don't write the end at the end of your book. I don't care what genre you're writing in. Don't do it. All right. No agent is going to consider a pitch for a first-time novelist. You need a complete manuscript. What's complete, though, you ask? Actually, that answer is more difficult than you might expect. For example, can, can your manuscript, can it have a few typos in it? How about some misspellings? Dangling modifiers? The short answer is no. You want a grammatically perfect book. You want a syntactically, stylistically perfect book. You want a manuscript that is the grammatical Mount Everest of books before you start shopping it. If that sounds like a tall order, well, this is a hard game. Read a style book if you need to. Read a grammar book. Take a class. There are lots of options if that feels daunting to you. 
don't fall for the lie that an agent will see through the mistakes to the beauty of your plot and the wonder of your characters and the amazing uniqueness of what you're doing. They won't read past page one if they run into errors with the manuscript. You're already going up against tens of thousands of other novelists, all querying the same agents. And these are people who are paying editors to improve their manuscripts. These are people who have studied years at top colleges and universities. These are people who have traded work with published authors, people who are already in the door. You're going up against seasoned professionals. You have to rise to that level if you want to get an agent's attention. Like it or don't like it, agree with it or don't agree with it, feel like you've got your own unique voice that requires you to break some rules, that's fine. There are plenty of ways for you to publish your book if that's your vision, but getting an agent requires you to adopt a certain set of rules. And here's the sad part. If you talk to any editors in the business, you're going to hear plenty of stories about the inequities of publishing. There is so much favoritism going around. Nobody's going to lie about that. Agents are going to gravitate toward popular figures. <coughs> Build a platform. Anyway, <laughs> here's a little, here's a little uh, artifact for you. The publisher Avon, they published a couple of romance novels by Fabio. You heard that right. Novels with an S. You don't want to read them. If you're curious, you can look up some reviews. He sold those on his name alone. And you're up against him and everybody like him to get a book deal. You can probably think of about 10 celebrities right now who, when you hear them speak, you think there's no way they can write a novel or a memoir. There's just no way. And yeah, there's ghostwriters out there, but but really, I mean, even their lives don't seem particularly interesting to, to be a book. Those are the people you're going up against. Here's the good news. If you're listening right now, you are not excluded from writing a bestseller. If you're listening right now and you've never published anything and you're not sure about your manuscript and you think there's no way for you to write a bestseller, you're wrong. You can write a bestseller. And there's more control over doing it than you realize. You have everything you need right at your fingertips. Cliched or not, a pun or no pun, you have everything you need at your fingertips. And you don't need anything more than a laptop. That's the great thing about writing in our day and age. You don't even need an envelope or a printer. Just a laptop and your fingers. Okay, so you know your, your manuscript is ready when it's grammatically perfect. And I'm going to admit that even when it's grammatically perfect, it won't be grammatically perfect. Because ugh, typos, they're like the chicken pox. They get into the manuscript, and no matter what you do, they're always there, ready to just rise up like shingles. I've seen typos in 20th editions of Stephen King novels. No joke. Typos will always be there. And, and the crazy thing is, is that those typos, they've made it through the writer, the agent, the editor, the copy editor, the proofreader. They've made it through so many rounds of edits. Every single person missed that typo. But the difference between one typo and a typo on the first page, monumental. Make it perfect. Expect it to be perfect. Don't stop until you are positive it's perfect, until you can't catch another error, another misplaced comma, another 
accidental T-O when it should be T-O-O. Honestly, you're not a bad writer for making grammatical mistakes. You're a lazy writer if you don't fix the problems and work through them. Okay, we mentioned the first page. The first page is critical. Not only does the first page need to be grammatically perfect, but the first page needs to have gripping characters. It needs to have compelling characters. It needs to have interesting characters. In other words, your first page needs to have sparkling, exquisite characters, and you'll do well to sprinkle in a bit of setting, scene, tension, and situation, as well as outstanding characters. This, again, is something that, that I used to hear from people, my peers in school and writing groups and other places, mentioning books that had slow first pages, cozy, snuggling up, just moody first pages. Why, why can't we all write those kind of first pages? What if, I mean, it's going to get great. I'm just kind of ramping it up, kind of getting you in the mood. Again, you're a first time novelist. There are no books being published anymore with cozy first pages. There are no novels anymore that are being published with just a moody first page. You've got to bring the goods right away. Your characters have to jump off the page immediately. The moment the agent reads your first line, she needs to see a character that captures her attention. I can't tell you how to do that. That might take feedback from your writing group, your critique partner. You got to find someone to let you know, but you need that very first line to make you awed by the character. It's also simple. The first line of my novel that caught the attention of my agent and several others that I didn't end up working with was just the main character moving a pocket knife in the air before her face in a figure eight. When I say it that way, it's like, well, it's really silly, but it's something about the mood. It's the commitment. It's the sense of action, a person with a thing. And, you know, it helps that it's a knife because that knife would suggest that it's going to get used. Thank you, Chekhov. <sighs> Make the first page character-driven, tension, perfect grammar, amazing. So now we've got a grammatically perfect manuscript, one that has a stellar first page that's character-driven. What else? Well, let's look to the rest of the book. You want your prospective agent to immediately know what genre she's reading in, which means you need to know what genre you're reading in. But Jody, my genre is like really unique. It's so hard to describe exactly what it is. It's kind of like fantasy with elements of science fiction and romance, and it's really thrilling and suspenseful and mysterious. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. That's a hot mess. Don't be whoever that person is. That is a stinking, no good, too bad you wrote that far into it. You need to know what your genre is. To be Radiohead Kid A, you had to be Radiohead Pablo Honey. You get the right to experiment by showing mastery of a defined genre. It's okay if you don't know all the genres. It's all right. There are websites out there that can tell you what genres are if you're not super familiar you probably have a good idea of some of the major ones like sci-fi 
fantasy, romance, some of the ones that we already mentioned. How about literary, though? It's funny because the majority of, of universities that have fine arts programs, they have teachers and professors and adjuncts who are teaching literary fiction and literary poetry, literary nonfiction, literary memoir. And everybody kind of pretends like it's a Midwesterner's accent, that it doesn't exist, but it really does. I mean, if you're in the South and somebody from the Midwest comes to you, that person from the Midwest is the one with the accent, not the Southerner. Literary anything is a genre. And I feel like I've spent this entire time on one soapbox or another, but I want to say that the universities would do really well to give up on this whole idea that literary fiction is superior to every other genre, and they should start allowing students to write in genres. And if the professors aren't comfortable reading and critiquing those genres, then we should find someone who is, because there's nothing wrong with writing seriously in any genre. But I'm going to assume that not all of you have gone to university and even seen that this is a problem or known that it exists. There are a lot of people out there who went through school trying to suddenly switch gears and write in literary when they had come to school writing in fantasy. That's a pretty tough change to make. All right, let's try to stay on track here. It's obvious I have wounds. I have not sought counseling for them. Maybe I will. We'll see. Okay, back to knowing the genre. What, what are some conventions? Well, how about this? Think about Dan Brown. Maybe you have not read uh, The Da Vinci Code, but I'm guessing you've at least picked the book up and perused it. And I'll tell you a little bit about it too, just in case you haven't. So if you pick up uh, Angels and Demons and you look, all of those chapters are going to be somewhere in the 300 to 500 word count length. Why is that? Because it's a convention of the genre. Every chapter is going to end with some kind of cliffhanger. There's another genre convention. How about if you pick up a romance novel? I bet you that you could just walk into any bookstore and find the romances without looking at any kind of headings on the bookshelves. How is that? Well, the covers all have very strong-looking people and, you know, thin and healthy and vibrant, lustily dressed. That's a, that's, a, that's a convention of the genre. Flip to the three-quarter point. What do you think they're doing? Why is that shirt halfway unbuttoned? Well, again, that's a convention of the genre. If you notice that a book has a whole bunch of regretful, pensive people surrounded by very specific objects in a quiet and minutely detailed environment, there you go. You know you're reading literary. <laughs> okay, that's unfair. But it's kind of true. Anyways, literary fiction is actually still my favorite kind of fiction, even though I'm dogging on it a ton. I don't know if I've mentioned Dennis Johnson here before, but he would be a prime example of a literary writer. But again, if you've written a book and you don't know the genre and the subgenre, do some studying, figure it out, and then comb through that manuscript and make sure that you're following the conventions of that genre really closely. This is your first book. This is your opportunity to get an agent. Don't mess it up by trying to, like, pave new ground you know don't don't plow a new field just play by the rules to start with you've got a whole lifetime to do it differently or and hear me out here self-publish it's okay self-publishing there's no shame in it i can already tell you that once i play the game by the publisher's rules 
I will go and I will self-publish because the money is in self-publishing, the control is in the self-publishing, your audience is easier to reach in self-publishing, everything you could want is there. That's where I'm headed. But first, I want to fulfill a vow to myself to get the literary agent, to get the publishing contract, to publish with one of the big five. That is the commitment I made to myself when I started this journey. And if you're listening right now and you're not bored out of your mind and, and like quitting you know, skipping the next episode as fast as you can. It's because something is resonating here with you. You want to take this path too. You want the agent. You want the publisher. You want on the spine of your book, HarperCollins, FSG, Little Brown. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. But if you want that to be a reality, and that's where you want to start this journey, you need to know the lingo. You need to be playing by the rules. I don't know how many times I've said that already. It's part and parcel with this particular path. All right. So you know your genre. You have a grammatically, stylistically, syntactically perfect book. Your first page is so sizzling hot when you touch it, you burn your fingers. Now we need to step back and look at the whole manuscript and identify, do we have three acts? Because a three-act structure is kind of like playing in the key of C. It's recognizable. Everybody knows it. It's not predictable, but it's predictable. You know kind of how you're moving through things. You know when to expect certain movements. That's a good feeling. What you think is predictable for the reader is comfortable, and comfortable is trustworthy, and trustworthy is exciting. It's strange how if you can conform to the structure, you can surprise people within the structure. But if you try to break the structure to surprise people, you only alienate them, cause them to mistrust you. So quickly, what are the three acts? Because they're not going to teach it to you in a fine arts program. Strangely enough, somewhere where you're supposed to go to learn writing, they don't teach you how to actually get a literary agent or get published. And they don't teach you like the elements of writing a story. It's weird. They'll critique the story that you wrote and tell you that it's implausible or that there are plot holes, but they won't tell you how to make a satisfying story. Soapbox number 45. That's like probably 90, actually. Okay, the the three-act structure that you need to follow in order to know that your novel is ready to shop for a literary agent. Act one, setup. Act two, confrontation. Act three, resolution. Within the three-act structure, you have three crises, one for each act. The climax should be the culmination of each of the crises clashing. I'll do a whole episode on the three-act structure later on, but right now, just think of it at a high level. If you know that you have three separate crises, three moments when something big happens that sets the story off on a new journey, you know you're pretty safe that you've got your three acts. And if you've got a climactic moment, the big battle, it may just be a psychological battle. It may be a mother finally accepting that her daughter's an individual because her daughter stands up for herself. That may be the climax of the book. Or it may be uh, Captain America picking up Thor's hammer. Did you know that that was the climax of Endgame? Absolutely. The climax is not when Thor's defeated. It's the moment that Captain America shows that he's worthy. That's what they've been building to for all of the story arc. That's the climax of all of it. 
Now, but <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. A, we're talking about movies here, which I'm like swimming in the deep end of a pool I don't know crap about. But B, we're talking about like dozens of movies building up. There's three act structures for each movie. And some of those movies actually aren't three act structures. But anyway, we'll talk about that never. Okay, don't overthink it. You've got your three acts. Good. Relax. Just point out that, they, that, that they're there and then we can kind of move on, okay? You know you've got your setup, your confrontation, and your resolution. Boom. Guess what? You are ready to submit to a literary agent. Wait. What? That's it? Yeah. That's it. Writing is not, despite what anyone will tell you, <coughs> fine arts programs, a high science that only lifelong students can tackle. If you have a book with three defined acts, and you know its genre, once you have the actual book fully written, and a steaming hot, awesome, flaming great first page, and once you've come through and worked through all the grammar and the style and the syntax, your book is ready to shop with agents. But Jody, didn't you say there's like tens of thousands of people competing for my same agent? Yeah, I did say that. Okay, all right. So you want a few bonus tips? I'm here to indulge. Here are some bonus tips, but I wanna warn you, you're not gonna love them because this is the part of the episode where I use the dirty word, money. These tips are gonna cost you some money and they can accelerate your path to being represented by an agent they can secure your path to a better deal with one of the big five publishers. They can change the game for you. And they can make all of this happen faster than it would otherwise. Because everything that I just said, even in its simplicity, is going to take time for you to do. You might have come to this episode thinking, great, I'll listen to this. And then I'll just quickly check this off the list and my manuscript's ready to go. And I'm going to send it and I'm going to get my agent and everything's going to be great. And that may actually happen. You may be at that point in the process where you just need reassurance. But likely something in here is going to kind of piss you off a little bit. Sorry, I'll try to PG that up. It's going to torque you off. No, let's just stay with piss. It's a, you know, explicit podcast anyways. It's going gonna, it's gonna to freaking piss you off, man. Yeah, you're going to be angry <laughs> at something in this podcast because you're going to be like, yeah, but my book is different. You know, I don't, I'm... well, we've already been there. Anyways, something's going to, something's going to get you off center a little bit. Most likely if it doesn't, great. Hooray. Submit it to an agent. You're going to do awesome. But if you want to speed up the process and something made you angry and you've got a little bit of that cash money sitting around that you can spend on the book, then, uh, Pay for a developmental editor. I'll do a whole episode. In fact, I already talked to a great editor named Debbie Burke. You can listen to that episode. Just find her name. I don't remember the exact title, but Debbie Burke. It's in the title of the episode. Find that. Listen to her. She'll tell you a little bit about the process of getting a developmental editor. It is an amazing way to make sure that your manuscript is going to hit an agent the right way. They know the inside baseball. They know the way to get your manuscript to the level it's not. And I'm going to be honest, they're not actually that expensive. Okay, I know cash money is hard to come by. But if this is really important to you and you want to speed things up, just, I don't know, scan it on a credit card. You're in debt already for a car or something, so what the heck. 
<laughs> this is this is not a podcast for financial advice. <laughs> Ooh, alrighty. So, anyways, developmental editor, get one of those. That editor will make your manuscript sing, and then you'll know. Okay, I've got all the big pieces taken care of. I can feel supremely comfortable sending this off to an agent. But what if you what if you want to take it just one more step? Because this is bonus tip number two, and this actually probably costs more money, more cash money than getting that developmental editor. And this is going to a writer's conference. You don't need to go to multiples. Go to one. Get ready for it. Prepare. I will do an episode on writer's conferences in the future. I'm not going to promise when, but I will definitely get around to it. But here's here's the basic thing. And this is probably enough to really get you in the door if this is something you want to do. Or feel free to reach out to me. My email is jodyjsperling at gmail.com. I'm always happy to have sidebar conversations. I answer everybody because this podcast is tiny. I'm I'm actually waiting for you guys to uh, engage with me, guys, gals, ladies, gentlemen. I would love to get an email from you. I will happily share everything that I know. I will point you towards resources when I don't know the best answer. Um, be civil, and I will I will always be happy to talk to you. And don't be civil, too. Give me some crappy feedback if you want. Like, I say crappy because it'll hurt my feelings. But listen, I'm here to make the best podcast possible. If I'm not helping you, just send me some hate mail. It's cool. You can tell I'm pretty pretty uh, eager to get a little, like, uh, an email of some sort. That's Jody J. Sperling, J-O-D-Y, a J. S P is in Paul E R L I N is in Nancy G at gmail.com. Send it on over. Okay. Writers conferences, go to them. There's going to be some that are local. You won't have to pay probably as much money unless you're living in New York, listening to this right now, or one of the really big cities, then you're probably going to get the bigger conferences, but that's great because you have more elbows to rub. Or if you're not living close to one of those and you want to go, then buy a plane ticket or rent a car, have a road trip, make an experience. It'll be great. You're going to spend cash money to get there. But when you get there, if you've planned right, it's going to change the game for you. So here's what you do. Just in brief, like I said, we'll, we'll go into depth about this some other time. You need to go prepared to be a socialite to the max. Take illicit drugs if you have to. Whatever. No, <laughs> scratch that. Do not. I do not condone the use of illicit drugs. I'm probably even going to edit that out. That could be really bad. <laughs> okay, listen. Whatever it takes to get you in the mood to be social, that's what you need to do. Drink a lot of coffee, okay? Whatever. Don't go drunk, though, because you don't want to be sloppy and people smell it on your breath. But coffee is great. People smell it on your breath, too, and they're just like, whoo, it's coffee breath. Get in that mood where you are feeling social, where you are feeling like you're ready to go. Get in that door. Have some business cards. Print some business cards. Very small expense. Make them pretty. And, I mean, I hate business cards. I really do. But you have them anyways. They're like a backup. They're a thing. They make you sort of like, I don't know, kind of more legitimate. Ugh. Anyway, the other thing you want to do is you want to get to every table that you can find. You want to see people, anybody that you feel like, just be like, hey, what are you doing here? Hey, what are you doing here? Oh, I love your table. I love your book. I love, I love, I love. That is a word you should use. It's a, it's a little, tiny little phrase that you should use a ton. I love. I love. It's okay. Love is good. Give it away. I like is fine. It usually just doesn't feel as good as I love. And then try to be specific, you know, whatever. Just just converse. Don't be afraid that they hate you, and they probably will hate you, but don't be afraid of it. Try to get in, and if they don't like you, move on. 
It's like speed dating. Go to this thing and speed date a bunch of people and figure out like a couple that are interested in you. And here's the key. This is the tiny little key. The key within the key within the key. Get their social media profile information right away. Pull it up while you're talking to them. Be like, oh, what'd you say your name was? Oh, is this you? Show them your phone. Boom. There they are on Twitter. There they are on Facebook. Whatever it is. There they are. It's like, hey, that's awesome. I'm going to send you a friend request real quick. Okay. Shoot them a message right after that. Pull aside, you know, by the water fountain or whatever and just shoot them a message. Be like, it was super great to meet you. We chatted over by the blank booth and you're a really cool person. We should, you know, whatever. (laughs) You got got to figure that part out. I'm just telling you what to do. But do that part because people, people are generally polite. People are generally kind. And people are not typically offended by somebody who's outgoing. People are almost always really grateful to be noticed. Remember how I was just like begging you to send me an email, any kind of email, to know that there are people listening out there? That's right. Chewie's telling me. That's what happens at the conference. Everybody is just like you. All right. What does this all have to do? How is this a bonus? Okay. This is a bonus. First, well, let me, let me, let me wrap up. So you've met these people. You friended them on Facebook. What the heck? What do you do with that? What do you do with this Twitter connection? What do you do with this person? Well, This person, like you, is networking. This person, like you, has connections. This person may be an agent or know an agent or be a friend of an agent. This person may be the person who connects you to the person who then represents your book and helps you get the best publishing deal you ever dreamed possible. That's why you got to meet a bunch, a bunch of people. Don't worry about who they are at first. Don't do the whole dumb qualifying thing. Just start talking to them, be really excited, get their socials and move on. It's speed dating. Once you've done that, you're going to find that some of these people help connect you to the people that you need to meet. And I know this feels gross and networky and nasty. It's awful. It's horrible. We hate it. It's a bonus tip. It's a bonus tip. Don't blame me. You spent money on it. Get the most out of it. Don't waste your money by being like, you know, shy and over in a corner and smelling books and stuff. And here's here's how it relates <laughs> to, to knowing your manuscript is ready to submit to agents. I'm just going to sum it up with one word. Fabio. (laughs) It's hard to say no to somebody that you've met, liked, interacted with, and gotten to know. It happens, but it's, it's a lot, a lot, lot, lot tougher. You just improved your chances by 50, 75% by getting to know the person who introduced you to the person who you now know is the person who knows the person of the person that's going to get you published. There's a lot of connections going on here. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for sticking with me. Go get to work. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey... There's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening.